0: Well, that play in which Roy Regal ran the wrong way happened just about a little bit before halftime. And as the teams filed off the field and they went into the locker room, Regals went over to a corner, sat on the floor. He covered his head with a towel and he cried like a baby. As the halftime came to an end, the timekeeper came in and he told the team it was time to take the field, and as he exited, Coach Price, who oversaw the UCLA Bruins, said to the men in in the locker room, he said, men, the same team that started the first half will start the second half. And everybody got up to go out, everybody that is, except for Roy. He stayed in the corner with his head covered, with a towel and Coach Price, as he got to the door, he looked over and he said, Roy, did you hear me? Come on, it's time to go. Well, Roy still didn't move. And Coach Price walked over to him and he said, Roy, I said, the men who started the first half will start the second half. And at that point, Regals poked his head out from under the towel and still with tears streaming down his face, he said, I can't do it, Coach. He said, I've ruined you. I've ruined the University of California. I've ruined myself. He said, Coach, I can't go on that field to save my life. Coach Price put his hand on the shoulder of this young man, and he said, Roy, the game is only half over. And Roy got up, and he went out, and he played the second half. And the players and fans will tell you that he played a great second half. Now, while there are probably none of us here today that have run run the wrong way on a football field, I'm sure that many of us would say we've had plenty of times we've run the wrong way in life. And as we think about that, in those times when we failed, it can leave us feeling that God could never bless us, that God could never use us again, that God wants nothing to do with us. But I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Jonah chapter 3, because in Jonah chapter 3, what we'll see is that we serve a God of the second chance. And friends, we serve a God not just of the second chance, but the third chance and the fourth and the 400th if we need it. In Jonah chapter 3 in verses 1 through 2, we're told, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it, Now, in case you haven't been with us as we've gone on our journey through the book of Jonah, let me just give you a brief overview. You'll recall that originally in Jonah chapter one, God called Jonah, who was a prophet of his, who had been used many times before to go to the nation of Nineveh. This was the pagan people of Assyria. And he said, I want you to go to Nineveh to tell them that I need them to turn from their wicked ways to stop the evil they're doing and to turn to me. Now, as we saw, Jonah instead of going 500 miles to the northeast where Nineveh was located from the area of Israel, he instead went down to Joppa. Joppa was a seaport and he went down to Joppa, he went down to the dock, he got on a boat that was going down to Tarshish. Now, as we saw, Tarshish was 2,500 miles in the wrong way. It was the western edge of the civilized world. It was as far as Jonah could possibly run the wrong way from where God wanted him to go. Now, as Jonah was on his journey of disobedience across the Mediterranean Sea, you'll recall that God sent a storm to stop the ship. And as Jonah continued to be rebellious and refused to go to where God wanted, God increased the severity of the storm to the point that Jonah was eventually thrown overboard by the sailors because he said, that's what you need to do to save the ship and yourselves. And as Jonah was sinking down in the sea, you'll remember that a great fish came and swallowed Jonah. And it was there in the the belly of this big fish that Jonah finally said to God, I will do what you want. I will go to Nineveh. Now, God had the fish return to, to dry land where he threw Jonah up. Now, this, we're not told exactly where, but somewhere along the coast, Jonah was tossed up on the shore, and as Jonah is sitting there on the seashore, he's given uh, the original commission again here to go, and this is what we just saw. It said the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, as God restates this earlier commission, I want you to notice what is not here. Notice that God doesn't give a long lecture on why it would have been better to listen the first time. Do you see that in your text? No. Nor does God give a a series of hoops for, for Jonah to jump through to get back into God's good graces. But instead, what God does is he gives grace. And he says, Jonah, I'm going to hit the reset button. You've repented, and we're starting over fresh. And I think this is something we can all learn. When we deal with others who have made mistakes, I think... Many of us, myself included, need to learn to show that great grace of God to others, right? The grace we've received, where God is willing to hit the reset button, where God is willing to restore us. Do we do that with others? You know, I think the ones that we need to learn most of all to show this great grace to sometimes are ourselves, because we can be our own worst enemies, our own worst critics where we're the hardest on ourselves and and we're unwilling to believe that God would give us a second chance. Whether we're dealing with others or dealing with ourselves, those who might say you don't deserve a second chance, I want you to remember that God is ready to give you a second chance. And a third and a fourth and a four hundredth or beyond if you need it. Now, while God is willing to do that, what the Bible tells us is we're not to to take advantage of God's great grace. We're not to uh, tell God that we're going to take advantage of that. Romans 6, 1 through 2 tells us, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Paul says, may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? We are to walk with God, but in those times where we fail, it doesn't have to be fatal or final because we serve a God of the second chance. As you look at Jonah chapter four and verse two, Jonah tells us this about God. He says, thou art a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. We see that it's not just in the life of Jonah that God shows grace, but it's to us as well. The scriptures are full of men and women who have failed and who have been given another chance. Think of Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah, the man who's called the father of faith, the father of nations, he was one that God appeared to, and and God said, I will give you a a son, and you will be the father of many nations. Now, as the promise was delayed, Abraham and Sarah said, you know, we've got to help God out here, right? Remember that? And they they went and they took Sarah's servant, and she gave him uh, her servant and said, here, this is how you'll be able to have a child. And they made a complete mess of everything by doing it their way. But when they failed, God didn't give up on them. He gave Abraham and Sarah a son who would be the father of the line of Israel. And the other son that they tried to help God out with was also blessed to be the father of many nations. And we have a conflict going on in our world today because of what they did. Then there's Jacob, the one who came through this line. Remember Jacob, he lied to his father, he stole his brother's birthright and blessing. Jacob failed to live as God intended, but finally he consented. Do you remember when he finally consented? It was when God confronted him in an all-night wrestling match. And as he strove with God through the night... God crippled him. He touched his hip. He never walked the same again. His name, Jacob, which meant a supplanter, one who was always running ahead of God, he was never able to do that again. But God changed not just Jacob, but his name to Israel. And he became the line that God used to bring about his people of Israel today. There was King David who came through this line. Now, remember that in spite of all God had blessed David with, David went after something that wasn't his he went and he took his friend's wife Bathsheba and he committed adultery with her and when she turned up pregnant, David concocted this scheme. He said, I'll fix it. He brought her husband Uriah home and Uriah being a man of integrity wouldn't sleep with his his wife while the the Ark of the Covenant and the army was in the the field of battle And, and David said, well, that plan failed so plan B, I'm gonna murder Uriah and he had him and others killed in the field of battle. And then he he married Bathsheba to try to cover his sin. Well, he didn't get away with that either because uh, God sent a prophet by the name of Nathan to David. And he told him this story about uh, a a man who stole the one sheep of another. And as he went through the whole story, David, you'll remember, had this great rage, this, this righteous indignation of what happened. And Nathan simply said, you're the man. And David's response was not to justify himself or to kill Nathan or to try to cover it up. But thankfully, he turned to God in repentance, and he said, I am the man, and I blew it. And as he turned to God, God restored him. There were still consequences for his sin. That baby that was born in that adulterous situation died. God limited what David would be able to do as king. But read Psalm 51. And see, David speaking to God about his great grace, about his restoration, about this God who is compassionate and gracious. And even with all these failures, the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart. And then there's Peter, not our brother Peter here, but the apostle Peter, remember him? The one who said to Jesus, Lord, even if everybody else will deny you, I will die for you. And what did Peter do? He denied Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. And did God say to Peter, I'm done with you? You're washed up? I thought I could trust you? No. Read John chapter 21 and see where Jesus gave Peter another chance. And as he restored him, he didn't say, Peter, you get to start by shoveling up after the sheep. And after you earn that, we'll move you up. And and maybe one day we'll get you back up around management. No. Jesus restored him fully and completely. And friends, God offers that to us today as well. What about Paul? Well, now Paul was originally named Saul. Do you remember him? The Jewish leader who went around and, and was trying to wipe out the early church. He was having Christians arrested, persecuting them, having them killed. And then Jesus confronted Paul on the road to Damascus. And as he met the resurrected Christ, and he he found that Jesus was indeed the Lord, Saul turned his life to to, to Jesus. And Jesus changed him and changed his name just as he did with Jacob. And he said, you will now be Paul. And Paul became one of the greatest missionaries the world has ever known. And God used him to write many of the New Testament books that we have. You know, we could spend the rest of our time going through the names of men and women who started out as failures, but then had their future changed when they came to Jesus Christ. And God can do the same thing with us today if we will stop running from him and if we will just turn to him in repentance. As we look at Jonah, he was one who turned around and he went back to God and God used him to go and tell the others to turn around too. Look at verse 3. It says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, you'll recall that Jonah was thrown up somewhere along the shore. I showed you that slide. Now, Nineveh, remember, is about 500 miles to the northeast inland. It would take the average person uh, traveling in that day, they could go about 15 to 20 miles. So to go that distance, Jonah is on a month-long journey. Do you think he had time to think about this? As he's walking along, as he's traveling down this, this dusty road, as the sun is beating down on him, as he's, as he's enduring this long, arduous journey to go to Nineveh, what do you think was going through his mind? Oh, it's hot, it's dusty, why am I doing this, why am I here? You know, I think maybe what Jonah was thinking is, oh, I love the warmth of the sun. <laughs> do, do you remember where he had been just a little while before? inside the cold, clammy, claustrophobic stomach of the whale that some people say are the great fish, as we've seen it was described in the Scriptures. He was there where he could barely breathe, so as he's breathing this hot air burning his nose and throat, he's thinking, oh, it's better than those digestive juices that were washing over me and were burning my skin and and, and, and everything. You know, as Jonah is on this journey... As you think about that long way he had to go to Nineveh, those hundreds of miles, it's, it's still better than the thousands of miles he was going in disobedience. And the circumstances, as hard as they were, were better than what he had when he was being disobedient to God. Friends, as you think of your own life, is that the same with you as well? As you think about what it's like to be on the wrong road, as you think about the journey and the differences between Jonah doing what God wanted and what Jonah wanted to do when he was running, which would you rather be on? Now, I know some of you may be sitting here today saying, well, you know, Roger, I, I kind of like the road that I'm on right now because the road that I'm on right now is actually pretty fun. It's not like being in the belly of this big fish like Jonah was in. You know, the road I'm on right now, is fun. The sin I'm in, it's, it's exciting, it's, it's, it's things that I like doing, and I'm, I'm having a pretty good time. Maybe you are, but men and women, I want to remind you of what we saw in a previous message as Jonah ran down to get on that ship. We saw there that Satan will always have a ship waiting for us to take us away from where God wants us, right? Right? And we talked about how sometimes that cruise brochure that we look at that's advertising how fun our sin is going to be, it forgets to list in the fine print all the things that really come with our sin, doesn't it? And we saw how our sin will take us farther than we wanted to go, and it will keep us longer than we wanted to stay, and it will cost us more than we ever wanted to pay. And as you look at your life today, you may say, you know, the road I'm on is fun. But what the Bible tells us is the road that the world offers, it says it is a broad superhighway. And it says that that road ultimately leads where? To destruction. There is a dead end in that road that you're running on today. And while it may look fun and feel good at the moment, men and women, I want to warn you that there is a dead end coming and it ends in destruction. And if you're on that road today, it's not too late to turn around because God is a God who allows you turns. God is a God who says, if you are running in the wrong way today, turn back to me. I am a God of the second chance. I am a God who will hit the reset button. I'm a God who will forgive you and I will restore you. But you have to stop. You have to turn around and you have to come to me. That's what the Bible calls repentance. Where we understand we're going the wrong way and we have, uh, uh, in our mind, we we say, I need to stop. And then we have a change of will and life action to go with the change of mind. That's repentance. And if you're on the wrong road today, God offers you the opportunity to make a U-turn. As Jonah was going the wrong way, he made a U-turn. And now he's on the right road and he's going to Nineveh where God wanted him. And in verse three, it says, now Nineveh, was an exceedingly great city, a three-day's walk. Now, it's not a three-day walk to get there. It's a three-day walk to go around the city. Nineveh was indeed a great city, politically, militarily. It was, it was uh, in size. It was enormous. The city of Nineveh was one of the wonders of the world. And as you went into this city, I mean, the, the wealth and the architecture and the culture and everything, this was the center of the world in that day of power. It was an enormous city. As you look at Jonah 411, there it says there were more than hundred and twenty thousand people who didn't know their right hand from their left hand. What that's talking about are children. It's, it's those who are not yet able to discern. So you add in the adult population, there was probably at least 600,000 people living in Nineveh. This city was enormous. Archaeologists have uncovered the foundations for the city. And as you look at the city, it had these multiple wall structures. There was a, an outer wall that, that was 50 feet wide and 100 feet high. This was a, a, you could drive chariots across the top of this wall. The wall covered a circumference of nearly eight miles, and outside of this was a secondary outer wall, and there were surrounding fields and outlying populations, Some people will attack the veracity, the truth of the book of Jonah and say, well, Nineveh wouldn't have taken three days to walk around. It was only about eight miles, only about eight miles. And that day, that was enormous. But think about the metroplex. You know, it's it's not just the city proper, but it's the population around there that could be included. And beyond that, if Jonah were having to stop at every street corner and every place where people were and cry out his message of judgment, how many days would it take? for him to go through a city like this. But it's all really a moot point because as we look at verses 4 to 5, what we find is Jonah didn't have to go too far on his preaching tour because the word of God hits home. It tells us, then Jonah began to go through the city, one day's walk, and he cried out. And he said, yet 40 days in Nineveh will be overthrown. Then the people of Nineveh believed in God and they called a fast, and they put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. President Coolidge one day went to church, and his wife didn't go with him. So when he came home, she said, well, how was church? And President Coolidge said, well, the sermon was really good. And she said, wonderful. What, what, what was the preacher talking about? What did he say? Well, he was talking about sin. Well, what did the preacher say about sin? President Coolidge simply said he was against it. You know, we're not told much about the message here, except that God was against the sin of the people. And if they didn't turn from it and turn to God, he would overturn the city. Now, when we read he would overturn the city, the Hebrew word that is used here is hapak, And it's, it's a very vivid word because it describes a person who was carrying a dinner plate that suddenly flipped over, face down on the floor, and all the food smushed out on the floor and got trampled underneath. And what he says is, I will overturn the city. I will cast out the people. I will trample them underfoot. This is the same word that is used in the book of Genesis to describe God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. And as Jonah stands there and as he calls out and says, God is going to destroy this city, just picture Jonah doing it. Do you remember why Jonah ran in the first place? Jonah didn't want to go there, did he? He hated the Ninevites. They were enemies of Israel. They were a wicked and a violent people. Remember how they skinned people alive? They they staked their tongues out in the sun. They tortured people. They piled up uh, just skulls and, and they wore them around their neck. These were wicked people. And Jonah said, I want them to die. And he said, God, I don't want to go to Nineveh. Because the people might actually repent. And if they repent, God, I know you. You're this loving God, compassionate God. You're going to save them, and I don't want that. So imagine Jonah delivering the message. He's standing on the street corner. Man, this is a turn or burn, shake or bake, fly or fry kind of sermon, right? His teeth are clenched. He's saying, God's going to destroy you people. What love, what compassion, right? What a contrast to Jesus or the prophet Jeremiah who was named the weeping prophet. And as Jeremiah, a contemporary of Jonah's, was going around speaking of God's judgment, he was weeping because he said, you're going to be destroyed. And Jesus, as he overlooked Jerusalem, it says he wept for the city because he said, you missed the day of your visitation. Friends, which one are we more like? Are we like Jonah? are we like Jesus and Jeremiah, where when we think about those who are lost, even our enemies... Do we weep for them? Does our heart break with the things that breaks the heart of God? Joan is a sad contrast to Jesus or Jeremiah. And as he delivers this message, we're told the people respond. Now, don't miss the miracle there. The wicked Ninevites respond. You know what this would be like in our day? It would be like a Jew from Jerusalem who is a Messianic Jew, one who knows the Savior Jesus, and he says, I am going to go into the places where Hamas is, where Al-Qaeda is as a Jew, and I'm going to stand there in the midst of them, and I'm going to say, you need to turn from the false god, Allah, and you need to turn to the true God, Yahweh, and receive his son, Jesus And then seeing all of these terrorist organizations say, We are going to give up violence and we are going to turn to the true God of Israel. Would we be blown away if something like that happened? That's what's happening here. Here is Jonah the Jew standing on a street corner in the midst of his enemies, calling out and saying, This city will be destroyed. Now, as Jonah is standing there calling out, I want you to remember something we saw in the very first message as we talked about the background of the book and what was this great fish and could a man really be swallowed and survived. If you were here, you'll remember that we saw there were two documented cases of men who had been swallowed alive by whales who lived. And do you remember what the medical doctors described about their condition after they came out? How they had lost their hair and their skin was bleached and blotchy. Jonah's been three days in the belly of this big fish. As he's standing there on the street corner, he, he looks like this. He may have even been albino at this point, And people are looking at him and they're going, man, what is eating you? I mean, you know, as he's, what, what's been eating you? And Jonah says, you want to know what happened to me? I'll tell you what happened to me. I was swallowed by this big fish. And I got thrown up on the land, and I walked here, and I got, would you be angry too? Well, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm a little upset. <laughs> and you know, as Jonah is saying this, the people of Nineveh would have said, whoa. Wow. Because you know something about Nineveh, the background of this city that I haven't told you yet? Nineveh had another name in history. It was called the House of the Fish. The primary god of the city was Dagon, who was half man and half fish. As you look at archaeological uh, things that they've dug up of how the priest would worship this pagan god Dagon, they would wear these fish costumes. And so here you have Jonah the prophet, who says, I've been in the belly of a big fish, and now he's standing in the house of fish telling the people, you need to turn from worshiping this false fish God to turn to the true God, Yahweh. Do you think maybe they would have been ready to listen? Not only did God have this background going on, but in 1 Kings 14, 25, we know the time period when Jonah prophesied. Jonah was was speaking during a time around 793 to 753 B.C., And as you look at the history of Nineveh and Assyria at the time, as great and mighty as they were, they were in a military decline. They had just lost a a major part of territory, Carchemish to the Euterians, and, and they had other things that had happened. There were two disease plagues that had hit the area during that time. There was also this major solar eclipse that happened on June 15, 763 B.C. And if you were those who worship pagan gods, and you believe that your, your destiny and things were tied to the heavens and these signs, and things, you're going, you know, there, there, there's a lot going on right now. And you would have been primed to say, what is going on, God? Whether you're talking to Dagon, the false God, or as we see here, they turn to the real God because it's capital G, not little g, when they cry out and they fast. And with all this stuff going on, suddenly a prophet shows up who's been in a fish and he tells people, you need to turn to God. Do you think God had prepared them? What about your own life? Have you ever seen God at work in this way? You know, we talked in a previous message how God will whisper to us at times, but there are also times that God will send storms into our life if he doesn't have our attention. And as you think about your life today, what has God been doing with you? Has he been moving you along through a series of messes because of past mistakes? Has he been doing something to get your attention? Are you listening to him? What about the people around you? You know, there are times that there are a chain of events that happen in somebody's life. And what God is doing is he is preparing them. He's getting their attention. So maybe it hasn't happened to you. You're saying, well, you know, that doesn't really apply. Well, what about the people in your world? Those you work with, those you go to school with, your neighbors, maybe even a stranger on the street that you meet who's just in tears. And you say, what's going on? And they say, let me tell you a list of all the stuff that's happened. Friends, are we doing what God wants us to do? and sharing the message of good news? You see, we don't know all the background that's been going on, but what, we, what God knows is he's been at work in people's lives and he's been moving them to the point where they are ready to receive the message and all they are waiting for is somebody like Jonah to show up and to share the good news and here, hundreds of thousands of people that we would say would never consider the God of Israel suddenly turn to him. God may have people's hearts ready to respond, but you and I will never know unless we are faithful to share his message. And, you know, even if we don't see that person we share with cross the line of faith, what will happen is God will use us to move them a step closer or another step so that when it is time, they will come to him. What would happen if we all responded to God's great commission to us to share the good news of the gospel? What would happen in our community if we as a church were out there doing what God has called us to do? You know, I'm thankful that we are a church that is doing what God wants us to do. As I look at what God is doing in and through Wayside, it is amazing. In the second service today, we're baptizing four people. We we have... God is at work in a local elementary school here. Many of you know of our Colonial Hills Initiative. We have over 130 kids in a public elementary school coming to a Bible club after school. And every year we see 20 to 30 of those kids come to Christ. On the University of Texas San Antonio campus, just two weeks ago, Wayside sponsored and, and, and a missionary that we support through, through CREW, Campus Crusade for Christ, we, we sponsored the event to bring in an outside speaker and there were over 400 college kids that went to that event and over 80 of them came to Jesus Christ that night, college students. You can clap. Tuesday night, we had the Heart of Christmas Banquet. There were over 270 ladies there. They invited their friends, their neighbors. Two of those women came to Jesus Christ. Another 15 recommitted their lives to Jesus. God is at work. It's not just big gatherings. We have have an evangelistic team that is going out. Last weekend when it was cold and many of us were huddled up inside, they were out going door to door. Our choir was on a barge the other night down on the river walk sharing the message of Christmas and Jesus Christ through song. As you look at your life, what are you doing to share the good news of the gospel? We as a church are partnering with those like Pastor Peter and Africa Renewal Ministries and Africa New Life Ministries and all around the world where others are being faithful to share the gospel in their context. What are we as individuals doing here in the community that God has us to share the good news of the gospel? As Jonah shares the message that they need to turn to God, they respond. They repent. It says they believed in God. It's more than a belief that in 40 days God is going to destroy the city. It includes putting their trust in the true God. As they call a fast, as they, as they call out to God, it, it, they, they said, we've seen a mirror and we've looked in it and we've seen we are wicked and we need to turn. It's just like what we talked about earlier in 2 Samuel 12, where King David was confronted by by Nathan. And rather than argue or, or try to justify his sin, David repented and he was spared. As the people here see their sin, there's no questioning, there's no arguing, there's no rationalizing. It says they put away everything that occupied their normal daily routine. They fell on their face before God. Is that how we respond? Or do we put a question mark where God puts a period? You know, in Genesis chapter 18, when God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, this wicked city, do you remember the conversation Abraham had with God? He said, God, you know, just forgive me for a moment, but what what if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you spare the city, God? God said, yeah, Abraham, 50, I'll do it. You know, God, forgive me, I'm just check in here, but what, what if there are 45? God says 45. Okay. Well, what if there's 30 and then 20 and then 10? I mean, how low will you go, God? What's, what's the minimum? What, where, where, where's that mark? Is that what we do with God? Do, do we want to know, God, how low will you go? What's the minimum we can do? Friends, do you remember we saw how low God would go for us earlier in this series? As we talked about our sin and how we go down, down, down. Remember Jonah? He went down to the coast. He went down to the ship, going down to Tarshish. He went down into the ship. He went overboard, down into the water. And then he went down the hatch in the belly of the big fish. Down, down, down his sin went. And do you remember how far down God went for us? He left heaven to come to earth and he humbled himself, not just taking on flesh and blood, but he became a servant, girding himself with a towel as he washed the disciples' feet. And then he went even further as he went to the cross, dying the most humiliating death there was, reserved for the worst criminal. And then he went down into a tomb, being buried for three days, and Ephesians tells us that while he was there, he went down to the lowest parts of the earth. Friends, as low as we went, God went even lower. Why? To redeem us, to save us, to give us a second chance. As you look at your life today, I don't care how low you've gone, how far you've run from God, if we will turn back to God, he will show his great mercy and grace to us. And for us, it's not about saying to God, how much can we get away with? It's, it's more, it should be about us saying, God, how quickly can I get back to you? How can I turn back to you and do what you want? As the Ninevites turn to God, it's, it's from the top to the bottom of society. Look at verses six through seven. It says, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and he said, in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and the nobles, do not let man, beast, herd, flock, taste a thing. Do not let them eat or drink even water. Normally, when you fasted, you put away food, and you put away wine, and what you, what you did is, the purpose of fasting was, was not to just deprive yourself and say, look, God, how, how miserable I am. The purpose of fasting was to take the time we would normally take to shop and buy food, to prepare the meal, to eat the meal, to clean up after it. And what we're doing is we're saying, God, we're going to set everything aside. All the stuff that is usually occupying our world, we're going to put it aside. Why? So we can focus all of our full attention on you alone in prayer and reading your word and confessing our sin. And the reason the king says, uh, you know, don't even let the animals eat. You know, at one level, it's because those of you who have animals, you know how much time they take to take care of. And what God says is, what the king says is, we're going to take that time and give it to God. And an added benefit would be, you know, have you ever heard an animal when it doesn't get fed? Think of all the animals. If you've got 600,000 people, you've got millions of, of animals in this city. The cats are meowing, the cows are mooing, the the donkeys are braying. I mean, how much noise is going on as everything is crying out? We're hungry, we're tired, and the people are crying out. God, show mercy to us. Imagine the sound going up to heaven as the people are crying out in penance to God. Now they're crying out to the true God, not Dagon, because you'll notice in verse 8 it is a capital G The king says, call out to the true God, and don't just give lip service. He says, there needs to be a change in our life. Each man is to turn from his wicked ways and from the violence which is in his hands. This is the word Hamas, and we know that word because there's that terrorist organization in Israel named Hamas. It means violence. He says, I want you to turn from your wicked ways. We're not going to be doing all the things we used to do anymore. Friends, as you think about your own life today, is there something you need to turn from? Alcohol, drugs, pornography? Is there some violence in your life? Do you slander and gossip other people? Do you bully others? Do you abuse those in your home? Or that you're over in a position of authority? Do we need to turn from our old ways And turn to the one who is called the way of life, Jesus Christ. Today we have that opportunity because God allows U-turns. The king says in verse 9, Who knows, God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we shall not perish. Now, we know about God and we know he will grant mercy and grace. Jonah knew that, which is why he didn't want to be there. And God didn't bring that judgment that he said was coming because the people responded by coming to him. Verse 10 says, when God saw their deeds and they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them and he did not do it. And he did not do it because this is what God says in Jeremiah 18, in verses 7 through 8 of Jeremiah 18. He says, at one moment I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evils, I will relent concerning the calamity I planned to bring on it. You see, God does not enjoy judgment on people. He's, he's not this punitive God who sits up there and says, who can, I, who can I wipe out today? Who can I make their life miserable? We saw earlier that God's purpose for, for hard things in our life is to do one of two things. To either turn us back to him through discipline, or it's a way that he refines us and he uses us in a greater way for his glory. And as the the people of Nineveh turn from their old wicked ways and they turn to God, he welcomes them. And friends, he will do the same thing with you today. If you think God will have nothing to do with you because of how great a sinner you are, I want you to look at the cross and know how great his love is for you. Because in Romans 5, 8, it tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you when you were at your worst as a sinner in rebellion and running from God. And he allows U-turns. If you will stop and you will turn from your sin and you will turn to Jesus today. Our God is a God of the second chance. And if you've never given God a chance by coming to him, I invite you to do so today. To turn to Jesus and to say, God, I've been far from you. I've been in my sin. I've been running. But today, God, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to you today. And friends, if we've taken a thousand steps away from God, God will have taken 999 of them to come after us. And He is waiting for us to take the one step to turn around and come to Him today. If you've not done that, I invite you to do so today. And for the rest of us who already know Jesus, who have called, On him, who have come to know him. What he asks for us to do today is to be those who will obey him, who will not only walk with him, but those who will go into the world and share the good news of the gospel. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if one reluctant prophet could be used by God to turn a wicked nation. A wicked city like Nineveh of hundreds of thousands of people back to him. What could God do in and through Wayside if the two to 3,000 of us who call Wayside Chapel our church home would do what God calls us to do? What impact could we have in this city, the community, and beyond to the uttermost parts of the world if we would do what God calls us to do today? In Jonah 3.1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, telling him, Arise, go and preach. Brothers and sisters, all of us here have been given a commission in our life as well. And I want you to hear it a second time today in a new way. In Matthew twenty eight nineteen through 20, we are told, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What will you do with these words today? What will you do with God's commission to you as he gives it to you a second time? Will you listen and obey? I want you to think about that as we go to the Lord in prayer. And I just want to lead us as we close in prayer today. Will you join me as we pray? Lord God, we thank you for your great love for us. Love that was demonstrated in that you, Jesus, went to the cross to take my place and the place of everyone who is here today to die for our sins. And today, God, you tell us if we will turn from our sin and to you, Jesus, accepting you as our Savior, that we will be made a part of the family, that we will be welcomed home. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that if there's anyone here today who has not yet received you as their Savior, that today would be the day where they make a U-turn and they turn to you and receive the great gift of new life. And Lord God, for those of us who already know you, we're sorry for the mistakes we've made. We thank you that in those times that we run from you and we sin, that you don't give up on us. You give us a second chance and a third and a fourth and a 400th if we need it. Lord God, we thank you for that great grace. And Lord, would you help us to turn back to you today, to walk with you. And Lord, as we walk out of the doors of this church, would you help us to be faithful? to go into those Ninevehs that you've called us to, those places where we work, the schools in which we attend, the neighborhoods in which we live. Would we be faithful to share the good news of your great grace? We pray that in the name of our precious Savior, you, Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.